Today's guest on the podcast is Bridget Quinn. She's the author of the forthcoming book, She Votes, How U.S. Women Won Suffrage and What Happened Next. This book is illustrated by 100 women artists in honor of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. I love Bridget, you guys. Bridget is such a fabulous person, human, writer, historian, artist, even though she says she's not an artist. I believe she's an artist. And she's a friend. She lives in San Francisco with her family and dogs and too many bicycles, like so many of you I know empathize with. But I want you to check out her book, She Votes, and also her book from 2017 called Broad Strokes. Beautiful book, both of them. Bridget Quinn. Go check her out. Pre-order her book. Publication day is August 11th. And so if you're listening to this afterwards, go buy it anyway, because I love authors. They're close and dear to my heart. But I hope you enjoy this episode. We really do talk about, we talk about our book, but we talk about the current political climate, um, where the racial divide sort of, where the white suffragists dropped the ball, dropped the ball um, in the early movement. And all the way bringing it to today and the impact and why we should all get out and vote. If you need a reminder of that, I really don't know what to tell you, but we give you one anyway. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode with my friend and author, Bridget Quinn. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 Hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by Active Detergent. Isn't it awesome to have a laundry detergent commercial? I feel very 1980s right now. But here, here's the thing. So listen, for real, for real. So you know when you're working out and you start to smell your sports bra (laughs) and like after 10 minutes, it starts smelling like you've never washed it. And here's the thing we're not that gross. It's just today's active wear has synthetic fabrics that are made from tightly woven technical fibers, and it traps in bacteria, oils, and dead skin cells. Totally gross, right? But traditional laundry detergents struggle to clean these technical fibers. So I have found active detergent. It works differently. It's made without the things that are in traditional laundry detergents. There's no dyes, softeners, phosphates, SLS fragrances, 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 or other nasty chemicals. Instead, Active is scientifically formulated using an all-natural blend of enzymes to get into those crevices and break down the oils, dirt, and dead skin cells to truly clean your sports bras, your leggings, your bike shorts, etc. So I really love this detergent. I have promised you guys that I will not advertise anything anywhere that I do not love. I love this. (laughs) I heart it very much. It has actually, I had sports bras that were about to go in the trash, and then I used this detergent, and they smell like new. I'm serious. So if you don't believe me, try it anyway. No harm. No harm in trying. So go to activedetergent.com. Use my discount code. 
Yes, that's right. 20% off their website. Use the code SWIMBIKEMOM altogether. SWIMBIKEMOM, 20% off, free shipping to try it for yourself. And say goodbye to those stinky sports bras. And now on to our show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today, the guest, my guest is Bridget Quinn. Hi, Bridget. Hello. Happy to be here. So glad you're here. So Bridget was one of my first guests. I want to say you were like episode seven. Yeah, really early. Really early, really early because she had an amazing book coming out called Broad Strokes. Oh, there it is. (laughs) That's that's proaction right there. You were just ready. Ready. (laughs) And now it disappears. Like a proper (laughs) author. I don't even have mine in, in reach. I'm not doing very good with mine, but broad strokes. Tell us about that book for anyone. So go back to podcasts, like it's seven, eight, nine, something like that. But tell us about that book. Cause I think that that definitely deserves a mention. All right. Well, uh, it's broad strokes, 15 women who made art and made history in that order. Cause I like a really long subtitle as you will see, <laughs> as you will see next. Um, and it's, you know, history's biography, of 15 women from the Renaissance to now who were overlooked in their time or afterwards or lost afterwards to history and whose stories and artwork really mattered to me as a younger woman and then to, to, to today. Um, and it has been very well received for an art history book. Nice. Do you have it in like any curriculums? across the country um mostly high school curriculums which it's quite sweary so i was very surprised um (laughs) but thrilled super happy and um i do i mean i speak at universities quite a bit and i think it's been used a little bit but it is um it's sort of straddle genres because it's not really an art history book for art historians developing art historians it's much more literary or i guess reader reader ish than that yeah yeah Okay, so let's talk about the new one. That's why we're here today. So, (laughs) and there it is. She votes. Another long subtitle, How U.S. Women, what is it? One suffrage and what happens next. And what happened next. When my son was little, he would say, what happened next? When we read a story. And so that's why I thought that. Because the story of women's rights in the United States obviously doesn't end in 1920 when women get the vote because surprise, there's still a lot of work to do and a lot of, um, I'm going to use the word oppression for many women and just, you know, unfair practices in many ways and uh, places that need a lot of work. And um, there's been a lot of women doing a lot of awesome work since 1920 and they deserve to have their stories told too. So is it sort of in the same format as uh, Broad Strokes? Kind of. Um, the thing that makes She Votes different is that it's coming out in August, maybe this month, for the 100-year anniversary of uh, ratification of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And that's gave women, which women, you know, uh, wrestled from the cold hands of the men who held it. And... Um, and as sort of celebration of that hundred years, it's illustrated by a hundred women artists. So oh. um, Broad Strokes is about women artists and it's illustrated with their artwork. She Votes is a story of women in the United States for the last 200 and some years. And it's illustrated by a hundred women artists. And um, Broad Strokes is really profiles of 15 different 
artists, She Votes is really a story, but it has profiles within it. Well, how did you come up with the idea for this book? Because like we were talking offline, um, publishing moves at the glacial pace of zero miles an hour. So how I, I know this came up like five years ago, probably your idea. <laughs> well, it's funny you'd say that because I remember when the year of no nonsense was coming out, you said it's just it seems so long to wait. It was like six months away. And she votes had been done for a year already. And so <laughs> I turned in the final manuscript of she votes in December 29, 2018. Whoa. Yeah. So is that right? Yeah. December, 2018. So, uh, because okay. getting a hundred artworks integrated is, and found and tracked down and every single one was commissioned, especially for the book. So that takes a long time. So anyway, I was laughing when you said it took a long time because I was like, Oh girl. It takes a really, really long time. My next book, so, Note to Self, will have no illustrations. <laughs> you love so, how I call it illustrations. Yeah, well, <laughs> it can be. It can be both. Illustration is art for sure. Um, so, but I actually wrote the book pretty quickly. So, as soon as Broad Strokes came out, um, the important point to say here is that the idea was not mine. So, um, my editor at Chronicle, uh, Bridget Watson Payne, who is Chronicles art editor, and she's an author, and she's an artist. She's pretty amazing. Uh, she said, well, first she was looking for someone to write a history book and said, you know, do you know any historians that are sort of like you? I'm an art historian, um, you know, a little sweary, but know what they're talking <laughs> about. And I was like, uh, yeah, maybe. And I gave her some names of people whose names you would recognize. And she came back and said, well, what about you? Because here's what I'm thinking. And she told me it was a story of development of women's suffrage. Um, and I loved it. I was really excited. And I taught high school US history. So I feel like I'm reasonably um, fluent in US history. And I've been a student of women's history my whole adult life. So anyway, it all worked great. That was the spring that Broad Strokes came out, which is in 2017. So I spent two years writing the book. And that's all I did obsessively for two years. Um, so but now we have to take this. Everyone listening, spring of 2017, the book deal happened. So the prior, whatever, yeah. six months probably leading up to it. I mean, nothing is quick. <laughs> nothing, but writing a book takes a long time. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. fast for writing a book. Two years is fast for a lot of people. Um, I just signed a new deal for a book that's coming out in 2023. And I feel well, like, oh, well, it, that feels like soon because you, you've been at this before. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, it's not soon. No. I mean, you know how time, you know how time is. <laughs> it feels forever. And then all of a sudden you're like, it's publication day. What? I know. I mean, I, so I, is, it's a, is it okay? I mean, now I'm being, being recorded, so it has to be, but is it okay that I say it, my book isn't out yet, but while we're recording this but we're so close to it coming out and it's like time has suddenly hit warp speed and a million things are happening after waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And right. Well, when's official publication day? August 11th. That's right. Okay. A Tuesday. Always a Tuesday. Fun I fact mean, in the publishing yes. world. Yes. If yes. it is traditionally published, it comes out on a Tuesday. Correct. Correct. And um, we didn't even discuss if I'm going to wait to publish it during, pu during pub week, but um, do what you will. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I usually do to try and help the authors out. But so tell However, me if it's before pub week, everyone needs to pre-order. That's essential. Thank Correct. you. Thank you for Correct. that. 
<laughs> and while we're at it, two authors <laughs> on the podcast. Let's talk about the misinformation that authors make a ton of money off each book sold. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. That's <laughs> not true. I always love when something happens and people are like, well, you got their money for the book. And I'm like, yes, all 79 cents is right in my pocket <laughs> right here. Especially, I mean, imagine being a novelist, someone who works, because I, I think about this all the time, you know, pe- novelists work on books sometimes for five years, seven years. So say you get a giant advance, a giant, like $100,000. That's like a 10-year payment between writing a seven-year book, waiting for it to get published, and coming out. So yeah. even if you do get a lot of money in your advance, it's you got to amortize it over. Very few people, right. to cut to the chase, very few people make a living as authors, strictly as authors. Right, right. And yet I'm so grateful for my job and so grateful for what I do. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the catch 22, right? Because Correct. it is so rewarding. It is so the best. Fantastic. It gives you something to talk about. If you want to have a speaking career, it's great to be like, Oh, yeah. here's my book. And, um, but it or is something such to a, hold up. <laughs> for those listening on the podcast and not YouTube, we are doing antics with the books and you Sorry. can't see them. So you should go to YouTube. Um, but it is so rewarding to birth the baby. I mean, you said you just got it last week and what did it feel I got like? It on, oh my God. So I have waited so long. So let's see, I'm very bad at math, but it's like a year and a half later, right? From when I finished the book to right. hold it in my hands. And also I'm, I'm not an artist. And so I am not good at visualizing how things are going to look. Of course, I saw the whole layout. I have electronic copies. I saw all the art in person, but to see the book is it's amazing. And Chronicle make art objects. Like the book is beautiful. I mean, it's very moving. It's very moving. And um, I mean, honestly, yeah, I don't know how dark I want to go here, but if I had died before I published a book, then my last thought would have been, I never published that book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's the thing I've wanted the most my entire life was to be an author. Me too. And so I know. And so when you hold your own book, it is, it is very moving and very meaningful. It's huge. And I'll tell you even, um, so I self-published my first book and then I got two traditionally published. The, the second book is actually the first book rebought, repurposed. So I've got two books, one, but the first round was I self-published it. And I have a friend who has a new book coming out. Um, actually, it'll be out by the time we're done with this, but it's called Out of the Pantry and it's about her eating disorder recovery. Oh, and good title. She sent me a copy and um, I, I picked it up from the post office. And as I held it, I saw who it was from. Um, Ronnie Robinson is her name. And I, and I called her immediately because I knew and I, so I, I was like, yay. And as I opened it, you know, to hold it, I just felt that excitement for her because yeah, it was her so first exciting. baby, you know, it's so and exciting. I, and it's never the same as the first baby. <laughs> I mean, you love all your children equally, but <laughs> the first baby is, is different. It's new. It's scary. And so I, I felt that joy. And you're also um, forever changed. It is like becoming yes. a mother. You're forever changed in that moment. And it's exciting. I just want to say about your first book. What's the title? Triathlon for the Triathlon Every Woman. Triathlon for the Every Woman. Yeah. Um, that I bought it when it came out. So just, you know, um, self-published and your baby. I know you had it again a second time in a different <laughs> way that might feel different. It was different, a late but, twin. <laughs> a late twin. But 
but um, the other side of how moving it is for you is the impact you have on other people, right? And that is one of the most unbelievable things as an author to get uh, emails from people and sometimes messages in the mail, which blows me away. I'm meeting people at talks and signings. It is so moving to me to hear people's reaction. And I just want to tell you that the second book I ever bought on Audible was your book. Oh, I know. And I've listened to it many times, many times. Thank you. Yeah. And so for everyone listening, if you've got a book in you, get on it. it. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. it. Yeah. And funny you say that about um, getting messages in the mail. I talked about this on another podcast, but I got a card in the mail a couple of months ago that had $200 cash in it. Oh my God. And a handwritten, I was like, what is this? I missed this. I missed this story. And I read the note and the lady said, um, I'm not overly religious, but I like to tithe to people who've changed my life. Oh, and I was so like, hard. I just got money. Like <laughs> and I held it up to my husband. I was like, I got money for, you know, but it, it wasn't, it just moved me so much that someone, one handwritten note always. Right. And to then me, just that's like, like cold yeah. hard cash. And I can't remember what I did with it, but I, I got it and I thought, Oh, I'm going to get a massage. And then I was like, no. But I did something very philanthropic with it. And I can't remember what it was now. But I remember thinking, I'm able to pay this for it because she paid it for it. And I wish I'd remember what I did with it. A massage sounds pretty good about now, though. I know. I'm um, thinking that same thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, massage. But it is powerful. It is powerful. And and what I wanted to say about write your book, if you've got it in your head, is you don't know the impact you, your story has until right. you get it out there. Right, right. Yeah. And, it, and, you know... Like in the case of She Votes, it's not my story. It's the story of all of these incredible women who came before us, some who live among us right now, who have done amazing things with their lives that have changed the lives of so many people and weren't always recognized in their lifetimes for what they did. But it doesn't matter. The impact was huge. And that's also super exciting to me to be able to tell their stories and have their stories live on for other people is uh, extremely gratifying. So what was the emotion like writing this book? I imagine this as a woman really had some impact just researching, writing it. I mean, did you have ups and downs? (laughs) One of the horrible aspects of researching the book, what is, well, horrible, I don't know, but you know, with all the shit show that's happening right now, um, and everyone's saying, you know, it's never been worse. I'm like, oh dude, it's been bad. Yeah. It's been really (laughs) Very, very bad. (laughs) And America has gone through some very dark periods and America has gone through some, um, you know, divisive, brutally cruel, um, horrible political takedowns, public vilification. You know, all the things we're seeing now have happened before and we've come through it. And so it makes me hopeful. Um, So that's the upside of doing all of the research. The downside is just seeing how much racism there was in the, in the burgeoning suffrage movement and how just small choices in the other direction would have made a huge difference in, in the lives of so many women. I don't just mean women of color. I mean, white women too. If, if the expediency of playing the race card had not happened early in uh, the suffrage movement, what all women might have been able to do together to change the face of the United States and to fa- to change our culture. And it's still, it can still happen. Um, but, you know, to see those missed moments or the, the, the poor choices that were made, racist choices um, is really painful. 
Can you think of any like off the top of your head that come yeah. to mind? Uh, well, I mean, just uh, from the most simple, which is that um, during Reconstruction, so the earliest um, suffragists were all abolitionists. Um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, um, Lucretia Mott, um, they were absolutely as out there on the front lines of abolition against slavery, um, traveled internationally, you know, wrote, dedicated their lives to um, getting rid of a horrible institution. Um, and then when the Civil War happens, they are all supportive of the Civil War on the Union side. Um, and they come through the Civil War happy and, and, and they've allied themselves with Black men and women. Um, they come to the Civil War really um, feeling like this is a moment of brotherhood with all of the abolitionists and that this new moment is going to happen and that finally they will get the vote. And what ends up happening is that the 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution um, give the vote to Black men before any women. And that's kind of all it takes for the dam to break and for Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony to say some terribly racist things and to basically say, you know, white women deserve the vote before black men, hands mm -hmm. down. And um, because we should give it to the most educated and the most refined. I mean, they use language that's, you know, unimpeachably racist and bad, much worse than what I just said, obviously. Um, and that causes a split within the suffrage movement itself with yeah. Risha Mott and, um, Lucy Stone go one way and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and, uh, Susan B. Anthony go another. Um, and so that fracture alone means that the women's movement is not as strong as it once was. Um, so, but it continues from there when the March on Washington in 1913 happens, which is an incredible, um, brave parade of women that's kind of like the 2016 women's march but um, violence broke out women were beaten on the street i mean it was um it was a kind of civil war of its own uh alice paul who who was the instigator of the parade asked all all black women to to march at the back so that the movement wouldn't be tainted by the other issue of race um, wow. And that was kind of women of color, especially black women were constantly being asked by white suffragists to step aside, not because they were racist, quote unquote, but because it would bring up issues that had no place in the suffrage movement, even though black women were women and black. <laughs> they were both at once. <laughs> right. We can be more than one thing. Right. So anyway, <laughs> you know, it, it was seeing those things and seeing it really in the starkest way that was disappointing and, and sad. But then to see what's happening right now and to see um, where a lot of, I mean, I live in San Francisco and to see a progressive town, quote unquote, progressive town, the things that are caught on video, the things that are being sent out, you know, it just shows you it, it, this kind of racism has no political um, it doesn't recognize political lines. Wow. Um, so the what happens next part of it, like uh, mm -hmm. where did, how far forward do you go? Do you go to modern times like today? I do. I, well, I start with the Women's March of 2016. Oh, okay. And then and kind of, and then I end up the first full year. So I guess 2017 is when it ends. 
So after so let's the, talk about the women's yeah. march real quick because yeah. um, I feel like I was still asleep in all areas, <laughs> even for the women's march. I was trying to, and I've talked about. But you this. had a few things going on, as I recall. I had a few things going on, but I was asleep because yeah. I and I had a very open conversation with one of my friends that I was just not going to talk about politics or racism or anything on my social media. And this was like in 2017. Mm-hmm. And so when the women's march happened in 2016, it, it was just, I wanted to go and I did not because mm-hmm. what would people think of me? I mean, I had, you know, the year of no nonsense was born out of like a whole shit ton of nonsense. <laughs> like, yeah, let's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I know that since that time, a lot of women have gone through the same type of, you know, we hate to say woke, but awakening, um, but just like waking up to yeah. a lot of issues and stuff. So, and stuff that was intelligent. Um, but what, let's talk about the women's march. What was that? And like, what is the impact and the relation to where we are today? Um, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know if you can draw a direct line. I'll say a couple of things. One is that it was really important for me to go um, just because I just felt so angry uh, that a person who had been caught, I mean, if you'll recall, Trump was elected um, just weeks after that um, audio came out where he says, grab them by the pussy, right? right? And so it was such an obvious dismissal of women and women's bodies. Um, and so when, and I really felt like it, there was something almost joyful in it. Like, um, we're not going to take this. And I wanted to be part of this, of this uprising. Um, I was also really afraid for immigrants and because that was a big part of the agenda at the time. Um, I didn't foresee necessarily, um, for example, the George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter protests that have come now, but Black Lives Matter had already started. Right. Um, 2013, right? Right. So, um, I mean, I was aware of it, but I didn't see the connection necessarily with the Women's March and Black Lives Matter is what I'm saying. Uh, And at the march, you saw many people with signs that said, Something like, um, it's nice to see white ladies here. You'll come back for the Black Lives Matter March, right? And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, okay, that's important, you know? Right. Note to self. Okay, got it. Right. So uh, I had that awakening at the, and just just to say, I was pro Black Lives Matter uh, when it was starting, but I had no activism around it. I didn't, I was just like, yeah, you go, you guys. You know, I, right. I don't know. Although I remember uh, during the original Black Lives Matter, um, I don't know how, how like specifically political we want to get, but um, Black Lives Matter had planned to do a protest at the Chicago Marathon. And on the Women for Try Facebook group, which, as you know, there was recently just like a crazy shit show. Yeah, I was uh, in the middle of that. I know, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Someone, someone said like, well, they better get out of my way because I'm going to be carrying when I'm running. And I wrote back something like, this is all, you know, on a public Facebook group. And I wrote back something like, wow, but what if we all just instead stopped and honored the fact that actual people have died and, you know, showed that we respect this moment. And I just got piled on. Um, And I was, and I, and, and it went on and on, like lots of talk about, um, 
carrying at, at triathlon events. And by say carrying, I mean concealed weapons. Um, and just to be clear, I am not um, like I'm from Montana originally. Like I grew up with guns. I'm right. like, it wasn't the gun part. It was the implied threat. Right. Um, and I was just horrified. And I was also horrified at the pylon. So I left um, the Women for Try Facebook group for years and came back only to have it happen again. <laughs> so, right. So only um, to have it happen again. So, okay. So what's my point? My point is um, I, and I know there was a lot of criticism later of the Women's March. I'm so glad I went. I was completely heartened by it. I thought it was awesome to see Americans saying, you know, just saying no, like just say, like putting you on notice. We're saying no. Did it lead to um, meaningful activism? I don't know. I have no way of judging that. Except the next election, a lot of women were elected. A lot, like more than ever, to Congress, um, and I believe uh, in state elections as well. Um, and I think when you see how many people have come out now publicly uh, in support of Black Lives Matter. I have to believe some of that is the activation that happened in 2016 for a lot of white people and white women. Yeah. So what are some of the lessons that you learned in researching this book? I mean, obviously when we look at our history, it's like, Oh wow. We're repeating a lot of this. And I know my husband just read a book (laughs) and I forget the name I'm looking, um, but it was about the, the 1918 flu, like the Spanish flu uh, pandemic. And so he's laying in bed, just like, oh my God, let me read this to you. And he's like, we're doing, you know, we're, it, it was a repeat. Like this guy, the author, and I forget his name, um, was on, I think the book is The Great Influenza. He was on CNN and, and talking about it and saying, this has happened before. And here is what happened, you know. It's unbelievable <laughs> how history repeats itself. Yes. It's wild. Um, well, the, 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 that's one of the old, people keep saying to me, because realize I finished this book a year and a half before it came out and uh, a few things have happened <laughs> since then a little bit yeah that changed the tenor of so many things and that I, there's no way I could have known were going to happen um, and that includes emphasizing things in the past and so I chose I mean it's it's kind of big but it's not that big and it's 200 years of history um, so I chose not to talk about the 1918 flu pandemic even though it did have a big effect on women's suffrage, because a lot of women tended to the sick instead of tending to voting activism. Um, So it was in my original idea that I would talk about it. And it just kind of got scuttled along with many, many other sides, some of them extremely important. Um, So I wish that was still there. How could you not have seen a pandemic coming, Bridget? I I don't know. I don't know. But like, literally, (laughs) when it was happening, I'm kicking myself like, damn. And I ended the book with, um, I, I mentioned Black Lives Matter very briefly in the last chapter. And I end with um, the Standing Rock uh, protests and with Native voices. And even though I have no regrets for that whatsoever, and it was an incredibly important moment and continues to be, and Indigenous rights and activism are incredibly important. Um, obviously, if I knew what I knew now, I would end with Black Lives Matter. Right, right. You should get like, like, do like the law books do, and they just have the sticky pocket parts, and you can just stand <laughs> and all and just stick those. Like, this is the extra bonus chapter. Oh, you could write the pre order bonus chapter. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should do that. <laughs> bonus chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the hard thing about 
um, the the distance between you right. know. And yeah. I it's had a lot about the Parkland shooting, which is completely off people's radar now. Um, but, you know, they had the book, the last chapter I wrote right after the March for Our Lives happened, which was massive, massive, massive. And, you know, had all these young people gathering in all the states, but a huge, I think it was as big as the Women's March in Washington, D.C., and with all these young high school students speaking, you know, that was a h- incredibly powerful moment that is just not on our radar right now. There's just too many other things. Yeah. Well, at least you didn't write a book called The Year of No Nonsense in <laughs> 20 that came out in 2020, really, because that's hilarious. Well, that's I'm like, true. can we have but, a re-release for but this very <laughs> predictive because didn't it come out in December? <laughs> December 17th. Yeah, so it's like, bam. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> just kidding. We meant 2021 as the year of no nonsense. <laughs> this is the year of all the nonsense. All the, all nonsense, the nonsense. But you need the attitude of no nonsense to get through the nonsense. It's implied, I think. It's implied. That's right. That's right. So what is this next book about? Am I allowed to ask? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, if you've read Broad Strokes, and I'm sure all of you have, uh, chapter three is about um, a French 18th century portraitist, and don't run away. I think away. she was my favorite. Yeah, see, people are always like, "Oh, I don't God, remember 18th her name, century." But I think Adelaide Le Bigiar. Yes, um, and I'm writing a biography of her that um, that recovers her reputation and her legacy for now, because she was um, deliberately smeared by her rival. Um, in who outlived her. They both lived through the French Revolution by some, well, one by a miracle. That's Adelaide Le Bigiar, who stayed in Paris. Um, Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun fled Paris and lived abroad and was able to write not very nice things about her rival later in life. Um, so, uh, although she was mostly forgotten after she died, um, when her, when she was sort of rediscovered, Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun's, um, cutting remarks had an effect also on her reception. So at any rate, it's me kind of untangling her reputation for posterity, setting the record straight. Set the record straight for her. (laughs) I can't repeat her her, name. For all of us, Adelaide the BGR. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) I can't do French, French words. Like don't have me order a Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, I don't drink anyway. Or a filet. (laughs) Like I have trouble with French words. Um, but speaking of drinking, um, I'm four and a half, four point seven years sober, and I think you're not a drinker, right? I am. Let's see, I'm four and a half years sober, and actually, I think I got sober just a few weeks after you. And I remember seeing you posting something on Twitter, maybe. I wrote uh, a blog about it and probably something, it, yeah. and I thought, oh my god, because I had just stopped drinking. So you quit drinking um, December then? Twenty. 20- I was January, so- January twenty sixteen. Okay, so I was December twelfth. So yeah, so you, did, you waited till the new year. I tried to do a strong arm it <laughs> around Christmas. That is so impressive. Uh, it was because of Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> that was my fear. That was my fear. I was like, if I don't I think not- <laughs> actually, when my sobriety date comes up, like it is one of the most common times because so many people get sober in January. <laughs> yeah. But um, not a lot of people, I mean, I don't know, not a lot of people stay, but it is no, but it's the true. whole, it's true. It's the whole idea. I mean, I like to talk about it a lot, um, that 
you know, there's many times that we try to stop drinking. And and so I always say, yeah, I just decided to quit. It was December 12, 20. I don't know why I can't remember the year. I don't do math. 20, it must be 2015. 16. I have 2015. No, right. Because Same I'm Iron. Right. Right, right, right. Ironman in Lake Placid, Louisville, quit drinking. 2015. <laughs> I just need to put that in my memory because that was all of them. Um, but I always say, you know, I just decided and I quit. But part of the untold story about the journey to sobriety is all the time she tried to quit in the two decades prior or however You mean long. like every day? <laughs> like every day. Because <laughs> every and... day I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. But I never I mean, thought... But I never thought I would quit forever, actually. I just didn't want to drink that day and always did um, for 20 some years. And actually, when I stopped drinking, I didn't quit forever. I know you've said like, I just knew I would never pick up a drink again. I decided that I had had exactly whatever I wanted to drink for 30 years whenever I wanted it. Um, And so I was going to quit for 30 years. I would reevaluate I've actually changed my tune a little bit. So I I say I'm going to quit forever. But since then, I have said if I'm 85 and I've right. had a good life, then I'm going to drink and smoke and wear a silk <laughs> robe all day long. Right. So I, in a way now, I can't imagine wanting right. to drink because it's been so awesome not drinking, which I would never, ever have imagined in right. a million years of feeling this way. And I, so I actually don't talk about it that much because I just think it sounds so annoying to other people, but I swear it's the best. Getting sober is the best thing I ever did for myself, right. my family, my work, everything. But yeah, I was going to be, I think, 78 or 80. I think I was going to be 78. I was like, I will. And I just, I didn't think I'd start drinking then. I just mean I was going to reevaluate that. Correct. That's what I, I said. Just gonna, I've lived a good life and I right. feel like I want to. Right. So that was my plan. And now my plan is just to not worry about it until I'm 78 and I'll think about it then. But um, for now, I'm definitely staying sober until then. And uh, it has just been, I mean, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. It is, it a, is miracle. a miracle that one day you can just say it's not going to happen anymore and you just don't. Right. Because it has such a power over you. It has such a power over your days. And I think Everything. the biggest power is in the mental loop that is constantly happening. How much am I going to drink? When am I going to drink? What time can I drink? Is it appropriate to drink now? Can I drink more than this? Are people going to have enough? Will I, is there enough? Will I do, will, will I do too much? And then I can't drive home. Like the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing. And it's just gone. Like that whole thought loop is gone. Imagine Completely. just going to a party and not worrying about it. I know yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> it's, even Amazing. though we don't go to parties now. And but I had told right. my husband, I said, when this pandemic started in March and we really hunkered down, we went nowhere for like four weeks. I was like, Do you know how much booze we would have needed? I was thinking, I was just gonna say that like in bottles? so many ways, it actually would have been harder for me to stay home during the pandemic than go out if I was drinking, because it would have been the greatest. Like, I don't have to be anywhere. Yeah. Oh, I can just drink yeah. all the time and nobody can stop me. Because I don't have to get my car, I don't have to show up for anything um, except my work, which was really, you know, that's hard. <laughs> right. It's hard to work. It's hard to write when you're drunk. It's hard to write when you're hungover. It's hard to write when you're exhausted. It's hard, it's to, hard write, to write. Period. You know, and it's hard <laughs> to write anyway. So adding all those things to it is really freaking hard. Yeah. And, and so stress. people that are listening, you know, that are rolling their eyes right now, they probably already turned it off. But, you know, I, I think that because I'd have been the same way. Like if you had told oh, me, God, 20, me too. You know, spring oh, of 2015, no way. like, why would I quit drinking? Why would, 
But, you know, I think if you hear it enough, when the moment comes for you and you're like, oh, shit, you you will remember. Well, Bridget and Meredith said it was okay, And she's had a bunch of people who also said it's, you know, and that's that's when it matters. And I think the importance of I don't think you hit rock bottom and I didn't hit rock bottom either, but I was kind of circling the drain. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this phrase uh, in AA, incomprehensible demoralization. And my bottom was incomprehensible demoralization, where I just, I mean, the amount of shame I felt and the amount Mm. of sadness and regret and anger and resentment, um, that was just going to lead to just darker and darker places. Yeah. And I didn't have a rock bottom, but it's a miracle I didn't. I mean, I drank and drive for third, drove, what's the past tense? I drank and drove. Um, whatever for 30 years, like that I didn't hurt myself or someone else or my family is a miracle. And yeah. I am, I regret and I, you know, vow to never do it again. Right. Um, it's, it's such a, I, mean, I am literally a person who never fed my kids, you know, a non organic cereal. Like I was so careful, but would go to a soccer game and have a couple of beers and put my daughter in the car and drive home. Like, yeah that's crazy or that's what's the word what do they call that um con- uh, dissonance cognitive dissonance cognitive that, dissonance yeah that uh, around alcohol all the time is um it's it's a madness yeah and it's a just there's so many justifications that and oh a you know, for me it was going out and doing iron man like let me do these races to prove that i have a drinking problem same same at, at least just being athletic right if i can get up in the morning and run i'm fine i'm fine i don't have a drinking problem even though I, yeah i do right <laughs> even though i do right. right right well let's circle back to she votes um where can the people find the book and then i want you to comment if you will on what is the significance of this election for all of us she's to get out mm. and vote for this election or to get in and vote Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, um, you can get She Votes anywhere you buy books, anywhere, anywhere, also on Audible. Um, pre- pre-ordering is fantastic because that helps authors. And also right. then you get it when the book comes out August 11th. The 100-year anniversary is August 18th, by the way, if anyone's interested. Okay. Um, I mean, why should we get a vote? What isn't at stake right now? What is not? Can you think of one thing? Reproductive rights, they're at stake. Uh, you know, public health, that's at stake. The environment, 100% at stake. Everything is at stake right now. And, um, you know, if you are disappointed in where you find your community and where you find the world right now, the one superpower we have is voting. It's the one instant next step where things can start to begin to change. I'm not saying it's the cure-all. There's still tons to be done. But um, when you realize that uh, quite literally women died to make sure that we had this uh, opportunity to make our voices heard, um, I think you'll never not vote again. And if there's any way you can sign up to vote by mail, you need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bridget, I love you and I love Same. our cosmic connection. Like the, the quick story on that is Bridget had an agent who introduced me to my editor and that's how my books were born. So we have, I will always love you. 
Oh, I will always show up for you and be in your corner. Um, oh, thank you so much. You're super awesome. And, and I want to say that one of my other lifetime dreams was to do an Ironman. And I did the year after Broad Strokes came out. And so much of that was inspired by your first book, by your blog, by your your Just mutual presence. love. I know. It's a love <laughs> fest. I love that. It's a love fest. Well, everyone check out She Votes. And while you're at it, put Broad Strokes in your cart because that also helps authors. <laughs> yes. And you because they're excellent stories and beautiful artwork. That's both. right. That's right. All right, everyone. Thanks, Bridget. Uh, Thank you so much, Meredith. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, everybody. Thanks to the sponsor, Active Detergent, of this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Don't forget to check them out at activedetergent.com. Use the code SWIMBIKEMOM for 20% off and free shipping to try it out. We really don't have to work out and start to smell our stinky clothes. There are solutions. And it's a very simple one. So check them out, activedetergent.com, code SWIMBIKEMOM, save that money and save your nose. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.